Hello everybody, Monty here. Uh, just so you know, I want to take a moment uh, to pause my like breakdown reading through Johnny's uh, United California Republic uh, setting and faction because I really wanted to play around in it. Like I've been reading so much of it, I've been taking a break from my regular mainline stuff uh, and reading what he's written and I've been talking with him and I just really wanted to play around in the faction and in the setting. So this next little short story is just um, something I wanted to write as an experiment. And if you're confused by anything in this short story, because there are some references, there are, I think, a couple callbacks. It's not a long short story. It's just a few pages. Um, it's probably because you have not been able to listen to the United California Republic breakdown that I do, or you have not read uh, Johnny's entry on the Letters from 2035 wiki um, that... Just it, it's a lot of work again. Like I can't stress enough how much work this guy has poured into uh, this idea and this concept that is now canon. And if you're wondering where this short story takes place in the timeline, it's right around the same time as the first couple of chapters with the Dome, which is my mainline series. Um, I'm wanting to incorporate some of the concepts that Johnny has into the series into the dome because I just think it's rad and I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So in your mind, if you're familiar with the uh, Crusader raid and the Pagan Ambush short story from the early days, and if you've been following along with the dome, um, this takes place right around chapter three. In fact, I'll probably just call it chapter 3.5 when I upload it. And also this will become pretty clear when you actually get to listen to this, uh, but it has a lot of airborne or paratrooper kind of vibes to it. And I, I, I know nothing about air assault or airborne things, right? I'm not an army dude. Um, but I did run it by a very pleasant and wonderful friend of mine named Ethan, who was uh, in an airborne unit. And uh, I just, I sent it to him and I was like, hey, does this look good? Does it match the vibe? And he gave me the okay. So uh, that's what I was waiting on to go through with this. And before I just let it roll, uh, don't forget, hey, there is a Patreon that you can go to. You don't really get anything with the Patreon because I don't have the time to be doing bonus content yet. This is just, again, kind of a hobby I do in between uh, school because I am uh, trying to get into a nursing program right now. But it, the Patreon is there. It helps me out if you want to do it. And if you don't go to the Patreon, at least go to our Discord, uh, which you can find on the TikTok bio, which is Letters from 2035 on TikTok. Um, the Discord is where kind of all of these things culminate together, where we have a very nice community of around 100 or so people who are talking about everything from personal issues to guns and prepping to uh, canon stuff and lore stuff to just memes and nothing at all. Okay, I'll stop talking. I'll let this go right now. Chapter 3.5 Winter 2034 Specialist Wynn Ethan, California Ground Defense Force CGDF 222nd Special Purpose Air Assault Group 
Etna, Utah. The makeshift hangar, Wynn and his squad were waiting in, was only marginally warmer than the Connex boxes they had been woken up from, and not much larger. A single half-dome-shaped tent, hastily constructed in the northern Utah wasteland, designed to conceal a single aircraft rather than maintain it. The aircraft in question dominated the space, a behemoth from a forgotten time, an MV-22 Osprey from the old America days, the massive props on either side of it still, and the machine itself remained silent. Outside the crew compartment, under the tail, the 12 California troopers did the two things soldiers do best, chain smoking and waiting. Wynn checked his watch, a gesture he'd been repeating every 10 minutes. 0300. He'd gotten three hours of sleep before him and the rest of the troopers had been jarred from their slumber and told they're ready for a combat drop. It had taken 20 minutes to go from their bunks, to getting their kit on, to checking weapons, to a standby status. They had been sitting in the hangar for two hours. What should have been a thrilling adrenaline rush had simmered down into boredom. Some troops had brought books. Others were sleeping. But most had taken to sitting back-to-back in the dirt, sharing cigarettes. Wynn took a drag of his before passing it back to the trooper behind him. Martinez took it gratefully awkwardly bringing it to her mouth with a gloved hand. Martinez was the only familiar face in the unit with him. They had graduated from the same boot camp division, leaned on each other through jump school, and special unit selection. How many times has it been this week? She asked between drags. Four, he responded. Four this week, unless my days are all fucked up. Keeping track of the time since they had gotten to the remote outpost had not just been difficult, but also pointless. Each day since they had relieved the previous unit stationed here had been the same, an eternal cycle of patrolling the perimeter of the outpost, eating, shitting, sleeping, but always waiting for the call. So far, in three weeks, the call had come 18 times, and each time, the call had been called off. Honestly, I think they're just trying to fuck with us. Martinez spoke in a half-groan, getting herself up to find the communal coffee can that served as the squad's ashtray. Who? Wynne asked, clambering up to follow her, the weight of his gear slowing him down. I don't know, man, she shrugged. The defense force? Fucking OIS? Boots! Bring the can over. Their fire team leader, a corporal, was laying down with his back on his ruck and lazily waving them over. Begrudgingly, the two greenhorns brought the repurposed coffee can to him. The junior NCO was a tall and lanky man not much older than either of them, his face unshaven and prickling with patchy stubble. He promptly dumped a half-dozen cigarette butts from his cargo pockets into it. That all you need, corporal? Martinez made sure to put a sly emphasis on his rank. Hey man, it's just Wilkes, okay? It's not like that, Wilkes said, raising his brow. He peered over each of his shoulders before continuing, his tone substantially lower. Don't shit-talk OIS, okay? They're running this fucked up mission, and they're always listening. The fucked up mission had already put most of the unit on edge. Wynne could recall how vague and unhelpful the briefing was before they had departed from the bulk of their unit. The Office of Intelligence Services needed half a platoon and a single aircraft to get to a previously designated point and wait for further orders. Wilkes tucked both of his hands into the shoulder straps of his play carrier, his left leg tapping to no audible rhythm. And guys, 
He looked them both in the eyes to ensure he had their attention. The scuttlebutt is the captain doesn't know much more than we do. Wynn didn't know Corporal Wilkes all that well, but it was rare for him to get this serious. He could feel a void rising in his gut. Wilkes spoke once more. I think we're going up north for something. Bandit country. Real shit. The words looped in Wynn's mind on repeat. Bandit country was a pejorative term within the UCR's defense forces for the lawless lands of Idaho and Montana, where the old U.S. military lost control and order was never restored. In theory, the United California Republic's armed forces were never intended to go farther than the Mojave. The official narrative was that it was a defensive tool manned by the brave men and women of California to protect its sovereignty. In practice, it wasn't abnormal for units to deploy outside of California, but an operation so far north had never been heard of. And there's only 12 of us. The thought causing increased anxiety the more he dwelt on it. To distract themselves, Martinez and Wynn went over the gear with each other, over and over again. Making sure each magazine, grenade, first aid kit, was exactly where it was supposed to be. Each retreated into their own mind while they went through the motions again and again. The silence was shattered by the slow whine and roar of the Osprey's auxiliary power unit coming online. The ancient machine awoke from its slumber. The maintenance and aircrew scrambling as the assault troopers gathered themselves into their respective squads and fire teams. The officers of the detachment, the designated captain and lieutenant, the officer in charge and second officer in charge respectively, emerged from the briefing room. Behind them, a woman in an unmarked flight suit trailed them. When the trio arrived at the formation of assault troops, the mystery woman stood in front of each of the commanding officers. Her flight suit was devoid of any name tape or unit insignia, and her eyes were shaded by a pair of aviator sunglasses. Fucking OIS, Wynn thought to himself. A thought that was repeated in the head of every trooper staring at this unremarkable woman who seemed to have all the authority of God. I'm Agent Smith, she spoke frankly, but sternly. We're going to Idaho on an asset retrieval operation. Bandit, Bandit country. country. You'll be briefed as needed. Now get on the bird. Real, Real shit. shit. All systems check good for operations and security. You are cleared for launch. Good hunting. <laughs>